This episode of Gospel Riot is brought to you by AGTV. That's right, it's a streaming service from the folks that brought you the American Gospel films. If you like American Gospel, if you like my movies, if you like this podcast even, you're going to love AGTV because it's all about sound theology. If you head over to watchagtv.com and use code RIOT, that's R-I-O-T, at checkout, you're going to save 10% on your whole subscription. That's watchagtv.com. Use code RIOT to save 10%. Hey, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and somebody ran away naked, who do you think that was? Hey, unnamed caller? That's a quality voicemail. This is a, a story that somehow has uh, it escaped my attention until this call. Uh, in Mark, Mark 14, uh, Jesus is being uh, seized in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas was there. They're pulling out their swords. And uh, it just says that some guy showed up. Some young man was following Jesus. Uh, he was wearing nothing but a linen cloth when they seized him. Uh, his linen cloth came off and he ran away naked. It's a fun little detail. I don't think this guy's ever mentioned again in the whole rest of Mark. This guy's never mentioned again in the rest of the Bible. This is his claim to fame. He's following Jesus while Jesus was being arrested. He gets stripped naked on accident and runs away. Now your question specifically is who is this person? I don't know who this person is. I've, I don't know anything about this person. Although I bet Charles Spurgeon probably wrote an entire sermon on this one text and used it as an analogy for how Jesus takes away our filthy garments. No, that's not good. How we'll be punished if we abandon the Lord? Eh, I don't know. There's a sermon in there somewhere. There's no other details. This dude just just shows up in a verse and he's naked in the next verse. And that's all we get. Naked dude. Fascinating. If you'd like to leave a voicemail for the show, you can call 772-324-9328. And I really hope you will, because I need those voicemails. Because I can't do this little segment at the beginning unless you do. Uh, I see that a lot of people are leaving really great reviews. Very, very kind words. I really appreciate it. Hopefully the the show's uh, blessing you. And uh, you can bless me back by just leaving a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And uh, if you want to write a little review, be a little be a little encouraging. Uh, I always appreciate that too. Go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating. So for today's episode, I need to give just a little bit of a parental advisory warning. Uh, we're not talking about anything vulgar or inappropriate, but, um, you know, we're talking about issues like pornography, issues like sex. And, you know, if you're not ready for your kids to be hearing about that stuff, please keep that in mind. Uh, but I think it's all going to be pretty, pretty PG to G rated. Maybe not. Yeah, just keep it in mind. We're talking about the destructive power of pornography. All that and more today on Gospel Riot. Welcome to Gospel Riot. I'm Les Lanfear. Joining me on the show today is, uh, he's an incredible filmmaker. As far as cinematography goes, it's like mind-blowing stuff if you haven't checked it out. Uh, his name is Jeremy Wiles. Jeremy, thank you so much for, for being on the show. Thanks, Les. Good to see you again, buddy. 
So just to give some context for people that, that don't know, uh, could you describe the work that you do? Well, let's, um, so we have a film studio called Kingdom Work Studios and um, we produce, um, for, for the most part, it's been cinematic studies that churches use in small groups. And uh, we've, we're also producing a feature film called From the Ashes and um, I've worked on another a bigger production called Genesis movie 3d mm. walks uh, people through the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. And that was uh, that was a cinematic release and yeah. Thing, was right? Like was that thousand. in 3d? Yeah. 3D. Yeah. It was in 3d. You had to wear the glasses, you know? Yeah. I worked with you and we worked on, I was working on a, a re-edit of one of your products called the conquer series. And that deals with uh, men being set free from addiction to pornography. Um, and, you know, just to be real right out of the gate, uh, pornography for me is something that I've uh, probably, I guess most of my life, I would say, I uh, had, uh, I've struggled with or been addicted to, I guess you could say, and we can talk a little bit about um, some of the the phrasing there. Um, but actually your content and, and working uh, with you was one of the means that the Lord used to, to set me free from from my addiction to pornography, which is, uh, it was such a, a gracious way for him to answer prayer because you really feel trapped, right? Um, yeah, it's I, an addiction. Yeah. Um, so let's talk numbers a little bit. Um, so am I alone <laughs> in, in the story that I just told about my own life? <laughs> You're the first person I've ever heard ah, this Dang from. it, dang it. <laughs> did it again. I'm always admitting my faults and it's only me. You were the only customer we dang had. Dang it. Gone it. <laughs> you, I, didn't, I didn't even pay for it. I was, I just, <laughs> you paid me. No, look, man, this was, there was a study done. Uh, this was like 12 or 13 years ago. And it was a large sample. It was like 3,000 uh, people that went through this sample. Christian men, these are men who go to church on a regular basis. And it was something between 68 and 72% admitted that they watch pornography on a regular basis. Um, I think the other 28% were probably lying. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And it, well, so that was a decade plus ago. So mm-hmm. now it's much worse than that. Yeah. Because we have this new generation that's being raised with devices in their hands, quick access to anything they want just by the click of a button. Yeah. So, I mean, you've, you've interacted with, you've, you've spoken at events and churches and things like that. Um, like how, how bad is it out there? It's, it's a, it is the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about COVID. No, this is pornography is the real pandemic. It's pervasive on every continent in the world. And um, I think every single church in the United States and across the world has men who sit in their pews who are addicted to pornography. And unfortunately, the church doesn't know how to define addiction. And for most men, they struggle with, well, am I really addicted or not? I think this is a thing that I do and I can stop when I want, but. So this is good. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the terminology there. Um, something that I noticed when I, uh, came out of, of, uh, slavery to this thing <clears throat> is I think that I was suppressing some of the, the harsher language that scripture has for, uh, for sexual immorality specifically. Uh, so all those lists that Paul gets into, you know, 
if you indulge or if you are participating in these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, you know, all these these uh, massive warnings in the New Testament, um, sexual immorality is always there. And it almost seems like the, it's it's like the most dangerous thing you can be engaged in. Um, so there's like the sin aspect of it. Like the Bible isn't messing around when it says you can't participate in this and call yourself a Christian. So, you know, we can we can discuss that and dissect it a little bit. G- give me some help on why would you call this an addiction? Well, it's an addiction when you're hiding your behavior, when you can't stop it, um, you're keeping it from other people, when you are objectifying people instead of building relationships with people. Um, the easiest rate, way to find out if you have an addiction to pornography is take the SAS test. It's the sexual addiction screening test, and it's like 40 questions. It'll probably lay it out pretty clear for you if you have an actual addiction. Um, but yeah, an addiction is something that you don't want to do, but you do it anyways. And so try to stop watching porn for two weeks and see if you have an addiction. That's probably the easiest way to find out. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's like Ro- uh, Romans 7. Paul says, uh, the things I want to do, I don't do. And either way, if you're participating in this at all, like obviously it's, it's a, it's a sin and it's there's sin. huge repercussions to yeah. it. But, um, it's also just very addicting because of, you know, what, what it actually is, what it does to the brain, sure. yeah. which is something that you, you emphasize a lot, uh, this idea of like brain chemistry. Can you talk a little bit about what goes on in the, the brain of a man who's watching porn? Yeah, sure. So, what starts off as a moral sinful problem becomes a brain problem. It still continues to be sin. You're living in sin. You're living in bondage to it. But um, it starts off as a moral problem, and now you've got a brain problem. And so the way the brain works is you have um, neurons and neurons that fire together, wire together. And so when you think of a thought, when you have a thought in your, in your brain – those are neurons that are firing together. And when you're looking at images, you're basically wiring your brain in a way that is reacting to those images. So you're beginning to sear those images in your brain. And so you, you create these trails in your brain over time, um, which eventually turn into super highways. And so the brain is... God created the brain in a way that it's to survive and to be pleasurable. And when you have junk from your past that uh, you've never really dealt with and you find something that is pleasing that you can use to cope with this thing from your past, this becomes the way that you deal with life. Mm. And a lot of men that I've, I've gotten a chance to talk with over time um, what I see as a pattern over and over and over again is that they discovered pornography or self gratification at a very early age. Um, and they kind of created a pattern of, of how they deal with life. Mm-hmm. And, and that just carried on into adulthood until you point it out and say, Hey man, you see what you're doing here. You're actually using this as medication. And um, so your brain's like an internal pharmacy where it's open 24 seven. You've got, of shelves of drugs that you can access anytime you want. And um, so you can go in there and pull out oxytocin and, and all these enkephalins and dopamine and hit, hit these surges of 
of uh, chemical highs in your brain and your brain lights up like a Christmas tree and, oh, wow, man, I, f- I suddenly feel good, which is then followed by increasing shame, guilt, and condemnation. Mm. And so now you've got to medicate that. So you go back to what you know, you're returning to your vomit, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean, like people think when you talk about brain chemistry, you're talking about dopamine and all this stuff, like when you take heroin, heroin doesn't like go into your brain. It's a way of releasing dopamine and other, you know, neuro, whatever, like mm-hmm. other drugs in your brain. So that's all it, that's all any addiction really is, is when it becomes um, your, your body or your mind knows where you can get that next hit. And pornography, that's, that's literally what it becomes is just, it's a way to find pleasure and not just pleasure. Like you're saying, it's actually a way to medicate pain yep. and we're all experiencing pain and trauma that we're, we're not usually not dealing, especially men, right? Yeah. <laughs> not very good yeah. at processing this stuff. So what happens is when you learn that behavior where you learn to medicate, you stop maturing. And so we have a lot of grown men and I went through this myself. We have a lot of grown men in churches today who really haven't matured past 14, 15 years old. And that's hard to say. And that's hard for a man to say, oh yeah, I'm acting like a 15 year old, but that's the reality. And so when you start to, when you stop medicating, you start maturing immediately. It's not like it takes 10 years. No, you immediately, when you decide I'm going to deal with this pain thing in my life, whatever it is, relationship with your wife or work related, whatever, when you start dealing with that, you start maturing. So I've come to discover in my life that, uh, you know, there's various reasons for why we do these things. But uh, at the end of the day, my my failure is that I'm not finding satisfaction in God ultimately in in the Lord and the the things that He's provided for me to be satisfied with, and so I'm always turning to other things, uh, quicker things. And I think that is just that's what idolatry is. It's what it always is. God instead of God, you look to anything else uh, to fill that that void. And so one of the dangers is when you give up one addiction, you tend to move on to something else to fill that gap. And one of the big realizations I had to come to was nothing is going to satisfy me. And all I'm doing is chasing satisfaction. So, you know, a lot of guys become alcoholics or just get really fat, right? <laughs> after they, <laughs> after they quit porn and then they, maybe they stop doing those things. They realize those are big problems. And then that's a big uh, reason that they go back to porn or whatever. You're just jumping around with, with addictions. But I had to come to a brokenness in my life where I had to just cry out to God and say, Lord, satisfy me like make me look to you for satisfaction in in all of these areas um and that that, i mean that was a huge realization for me is that all i was doing was it was unbelief yeah and and it's and it's fueled from a very early age so um most often we see uh, young boys who don't have the greatest father figure and so when you when you um, learn to identify that this is what dad looks like. How can you connect with a heavenly father as well? And this isn't like psycho babble mumbo jumbo crap. It's, you know, if you grow up with a dad that doesn't treat you well, and that's not always the case for men who are dealing with sexual bondage, but many of them are. And so if you're in that place and that's your perspective of what an earthly father looks like, 
it's hard to connect with a heavenly father because you didn't really have an earthly one. And um, yeah, you're right. You know, this is, it's, it's based on belief. And so the church's model to deal with this has been, well, let's just change our behavior and we'll go and pray more and read the Bible more and do all these ritual type of things. And that's going to fix it. Um, but it's a deeper relational spiritual issue that has to be dealt with. And it's like, uh, <laughs> it's a very challenging task to, to get a pastor to see the real deeper roots here that are affecting men when it comes to pornography addiction or any addiction, really. I, I do think there's a, a way that those two things work together because, you know, the God has given us means um, like, uh, you know, obviously reading our Bible and praying and all these things. These are the main ways that the Lord wants us to, to interact with him. Um, so one of the things, I guess the way that I sort of think through what you're saying is I came to the end of myself. Uh, just th- this desperation of like, mm-hmm. God, I, I I can't keep doing this, but I can't stop. And, you know, my options are my wife will catch me again because she had in the past. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that can happen. Uh, but that sounds miserable, Lord. So please don't do that to me. <laughs> so if in some gracious way you can break me of this, because yeah. I, I, you know, and it can't. So it's not that the, the prayer itself like snapped me out of it, right. but my desperation and pleading with the Lord to actually work. So that was me admitting my sin and crying out to the Lord for help. And then it, you know, he gave me practical means that would help me really see the weight of my sin and bring conviction, you know, through the power of the spirit. So it is the spirit ultimately, especially in the life of the Christian, you know, you you can, I'm sure you can break an unbeliever of his pornography addiction, but it's going to be very different than the way you'd be dealing with a Christian. Um, so in your experience, when you talk to people, um, you know, wherever you travel, uh, what are some of the the first things? What what opens the veil? What what what's the this the lights on moment? Usually, their wife says you're going to have to get out. That's most of the time what I see. Um, or you're you're going to court next week. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's it goes it goes to that extent for some guys. Sure, right? um, they're with underage girls and viewing stuff that uh, they never imagined they would get to. And I can't comprehend that, but sin will take you further than you want to go. And um, so for the most part, it's men, I'd say probably 80, 90% of men were caught and their wife is leaving and that's the wake up call. And so God is gracious enough to let you get caught and, and to uh, go through that pain. So the pain on the outside has to match the pain on the inside. Mm-hmm. So when a guy gets to a place like what you were saying, and I got there too, it's like, hey man, I I want to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the willpower within me to be free. I've tried. I said I wouldn't do this again, and I went back to it. I didn't get caught. This was my own premonition. I said, God, I want to get closer to you, and this is the thing that's in between us, mm-hmm. and I can't stop doing this, and I need help. And um. And then you have to put these practical things in place. You have to build some structure in your life and have some accountability. Some other men that you can trust, that you can go to and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me out? Can you pray with me? Can I count on you to be there if I'm in a place where I might do something? So it's it's all of that in a lot more. Yeah. I, I, I know for me, uh, once once I actually had to like face it, um, I was, we, we, so we were working on a series. I don't even know if you're, if you're using this content now, but, 
uh, you were, it was dealing with uh, women who had been betrayed. And that was the, the content that I was actually editing. So I'm looking at these interviews with women who have been uh, either cheated on or just their husbands have gone off into full-on you know, pornography addictions and all this stuff. And I was listening to these testimonies of what's going on in the heart of these women and how destroyed they were. And that just put it all in perspective for me because that I was so selfish. I was so uh, just not concerned with, and then I, you know, it was, it was all a secret too. I was doing it all behind my wife's back. And so uh, just, just starting to realize how much I was hurting my wife. And then the realization that, okay, so I'm going to stop this, but then I'm going to have to tell her that that was a really hard realization because I, you know, the, the natural thing to do would be stop and never bring it up again. <laughs> but uh, I, I really, you know, I was convinced that I, I had to tell her. Yeah. That's the right thing to do. Yeah. But why is that so important? Uh, because freedom and, and uh, breaking the chains, the whole premise behind pornography and why we go and watch it is there's a lack of integrity there. So you have to restore integrity. And telling your wife is the right thing to do. It's building a new foundation of integrity. Without integrity, that's one of the pillars of freedom. Like you have to build integrity in your life. And um, she has the right to know. Yeah. It's hard because, I mean, you know, you're, you're basically telling this person that it's the closest relationship in your life. And it's supposed to be built on trust, and you're mm-hmm. telling them that you know you have no reason to trust me. Basically, did you have any? Do you have any advice for that aspect of it? Um, if if a man gets to that point where he's fully repentant and he's actually ready to stop, um, what advice would you give to a man who's who's like, all right, I'm done. Tomorrow, I'm going to tell my wife. We're going to go from there. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you need to have some support in place for her because for you, it's going to feel like a ten ton load has been lifted off of your shoulders. For her it's going to feel like she just got ran over by a Mack truck and she's going to be devastated. And you think you're going to be the hero by saying, Hey, I'm telling you, look how of a, you know, much of a good boy I'm, I am right now, but she's going to be absolutely wrecked. Cause this is all new to her. It's all new. Yeah. Now she probably knew. Yeah. Um, but she just, she know that she knew the truth, but she didn't know the facts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she knew that something was wrong. Women have a very, intuitive way of knowing these things they right do. so yeah they're a lot smarter than us in, in <laughs> those ways and they just have a, a good feel for something is off i don't know what it is they don't know the facts and so by telling her you're bringing a sense of sanity back into the relationship yeah she can now make sense of it oh now i know and then help her to understand what this addictive mind looks like and that you're willing to go through a real process to find healing. And so she's going to look for things to feel safe at that point. She wants to know, are you being accountable? Are you learning? Are you reading books about this? Are you in a program that helps men walk through this process? Right. And so those are all indicators to her that, um, okay, I'm starting to feel a little safe now. I can trust him. And when you're not doing that, you're moving away from healing because you're not, you're either going in one direction or the other. Like you're not just going to be able to say, okay, I stopped watching porn last week and I'm not going to go back there. Like now you need, cause you've been doing that for 20 years. 
Now you need to head in, an, in another direction. And that's just not going to happen based on willpower at that point. So she's looking for indicators to feel safe based on your behavior and what you're doing from then on. Uh, but she needs support. She's going to ha- she needs to be able to go to someone and say, Hey, this is what I'm feeling. I'm, I don't know what to do. Is this going to work out? Um, she's betrayed. And there's been studies that have been done that have shown that a wife who has a husband who's addicted to pornography, she now has the mental uh, framework of, or the uh, profile of a rape victim. So she's absolutely devastated. Mm. Uh, so it's a, it's a horrible place for the relationship, but it's the first step in moving in the right direction. Wow. Let's zoom out for a second. Uh, so this is obviously personal about people who are struggling with this. And I'm sure a lot of my audience, whether they want to admit it or not, are. are. But I don't even know how, how you'd react to this. But John Piper recently, it was actually right, it was March, March 21st of this year. And he was talking about uh, watching pornography during this pandemic. And uh, this was his quote. Watching pornography during the coronavirus is like a person sentenced to house arrest because of arson setting his own house on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot, a lot to that. There's a, but uh, h- how do you feel about that? This, this idea that the, the you know, the the wickedness that we're seeing right now in the world, that the the insanity. You know, let's not say I, I mean I wouldn't say I would point directly to pornography and say that's the only culprit. Mm-hmm. But um I agree with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God will eventually hand you over to a debased mind. If you want to go that direction, he'll say, Okay, you want to go that way? There you go. You can have it. And so you've and, and that's what scripture tells us. In James uh, chapter one, verse 14, it says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And so there's a, there's at that point, there's a baited hook. God mm-hmm. says, don't go here or you're going to get hooked. And then it goes on to say, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So now you're trapped in this sin and it became, it becomes a pre-program pattern in your brain. It's where you're hooked. It's an addiction. And then it goes on to say, and sin, when it is full grown, gives <clears throat> birth to death. So it doesn't come in the form of physical death. Mm. This is the f- house on fire that John Piper is talking about. You've now created a scenario where things around you are dying. It could be relationships. It could be finances. It could be your reputation in your community. But things are going to die. Um, it could be your marriage, your, your children and family. Um, so, you know, of course there, you could also physically die. There are STDs that can kill you as well. Hmm. Um, your wife could kill you. Yeah. She can kill you. <laughs> There's those situations too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, just putting this together with, uh, I don't know. I just, I feel like so many Christians aren't ready to admit that like, we don't really have a whole lot of reason to have the favor of the Lord on our nation right now. And, uh, the church isn't innocent by any means either like we're participating and you know we're going along with the culture and a lot of this stuff and i think pornography is it's just the most obvious way that we're going along with it we are the greatest exporter of pornography in the world 
why the heck is God going to bless this country? Yeah. When we export that. And then everything that goes along with yeah. porn, the yeah. demand and the demand, the drugs, the sexual crimes, the trafficking, it's all connected. Wow. Um, let's, uh, so I, I had some people call in with some voicemails. So if you're willing, uh, you want to uh, answer some voicemails with me? Yeah. All right, let's take a break and then we'll be right back with Jeremy Wiles. Here's a situation we can all relate to. You pop up a bag of popcorn, you sit on the couch with your family, and you pop in the newest Christian movie. It's going to be great, but it's not great because five minutes in, you realize the movie's terrible and the theology is abysmal. There's got to be a better way. Well, there is a better way. It's called AGTV. AGTV is a collection of great movies, of uh, teaching series, of sermons, and uh, all kinds of stuff like that. And best of all, the theology is always on point because it's specifically chosen to have great theology. So if you like movies like American Gospel and Spirit and Truth and Calvinist and, and the Left Behind series, ah, gotcha, that last one was a trick. That one's a bad movie. You're not going to find that on AGTV. So if you want good movies with good theology, head over to watchagtv.com. And while you're there, use the code RIOT, R-I-O-T, and you're going to save 10% on your entire subscription. Go to watchagtv.com, use code RIOT to save 10%. Welcome back to Gospel Riot. I'm here with Jeremy Wiles. We're going to listen to some voicemails. Hi, this is Jacob from Killeen, Texas. Uh, one of the questions I had was wondering if there is a relation between the the fight against abortion and um, and pornography, and if so, um, can you elaborate on that? Thank you. I was wondering if you had any insight on how sex trafficking and the sex industry um, itself correlates to home viewing. Um, as Christians, shouldn't we? see the bigger picture that even our viewing behind our screens fuels the need for sex slaves, um, et cetera, and endangers our women and children. All right. So these are, uh, I played these two together because I feel like they kind of go hand in hand with like, you know, porn having tentacles into the world that, that have, uh, uh, there's more to it. Now, as far as abortion goes, I know that you made, you made a short film uh, a while ago uh, just pretty incredible. It's tying abortion back to, um, like it was using the Holocaust as as sort of a an example of the Holocaust, literally the Holocaust that we're a part of in America. Yeah. So that's something that weighs heavy on your heart. Yeah, well, it's what fuels it. So pornography is fueling this, and we now have a society of people who are objectifying people. <laughs> I mean. How else do you, I mean, it shouldn't be hard to connect pornography and abortion. It's just an, it's an obvious connection because of how young men are now objectifying women and um, just throw these things away, throw these babies away. We don't want that one. I, I, I watched how to do this in a porn film and now I'm going to perform it on my girlfriend. Oops, she got pregnant. Let's have an abortion. I, I, I just wish there was an, an easy way for the church to break away from the culture we're a part of because we're just along for the ride and like we can, we can identify the wickedness, but we're just doing, we're just doing the same things because we're 
holiness is just not, you know, something that we're all that concerned about. Yeah, well, I think these are some of the deeper systemic issues that we have in church. You know, it's and it's not to put all of the blame on church and pastors, um, but churches, the, the way we've been doing things just aren't working anymore. And churches have to become a place for healing and deeper level discipleship. Um, where we're going deeper into the word, understanding why do we do certain things, and more than just we show up for a one-hour service on Sunday morning, and and that's going to keep us going for the rest of the week. You know, if I if I play my church game, I'm not going to sin Monday through Saturday. So that that means like actually fellowshipping with other Christians, holding each other accountable, um, more than just visiting church. Which I mean, I don't even know how many people are doing that consistently. Uh, especially now, right? You know, I'm sure that yeah, I don't know. The church is just starving for for uh, connection. Um, here, let's do another one. Hi, uh, this is Mark from New Mexico, and I have a question here. Um, I have twin eight year old boys who were recently introduced to porn through another classmate. Now, my question is. How can this affect them long-term, and what are some tips for talking to them about it? And, yeah, that's basically it. Mm, that's a great question, right? Oof, eight-year-old yeah. eight year boys. Yeah. Yeah, we're actually making a series for porn-proofing your kids. Um, it's not about will your children see porn. It's about when will they see it, and will they be ready to – will they have a set of tools that they can use when, when that happens? The average age for a young child first exposure to porn is like age 11, I believe. Mm. It's ridiculous. So mm. when I was a kid, I had to go out and hunt this stuff down. Right. I had to go into the 7-Eleven and steal a Playboy magazine off the shelf and then hide it you know, in the neighborhood somewhere because my parents would find it. Yeah. Not today. So parents are handing their children laptops and iPhones and saying, here, Johnny, go in your room and do your homework. 10, 12, 13 years old. Yep. It's like handing a loaded gun to your child and saying, okay, now I've pulled the trigger back and I trust you that you're just not going to pull the trigger. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I think that some, something that I've thought about, I was there for like the introduction of the internet. Um, and so were you obviously. So we, we've, there was a time when the internet wasn't and then a time where the internet was. Back and when then, Al Gore created it. Right, back when Al Gore created it. It's a series of tubes. Discovering, because uh, there was a time when it wasn't super easy to get, and then it became easier and easier to get. Yeah. And I was I was an unbeliever at the time, so you know it just became, it was like, oh, well, here it is. Uh, but I think there's an advantage to us, this generation, parenting the, the, the children that, that we're uh, raising up right now. The advantage is at least we're aware of it. Because I think that my parent, like my parents, could not have known that the tsunami was coming. They couldn't right. have protected me. Not that maybe they even would have, because you know it's not the kind of household I grew up in that would have been super uh, concerned about it. I don't think. But but I'm obviously very concerned about it, and I have at least the benefit of knowing the danger. So the question is, how seriously are we going to take that danger? Exactly. Yeah. So you've got to put some boundaries in place. I mean, I might have gone a little to the far extreme with my children. We don't have TV in our house. Hmm. Phones go on a shelf. Um, 
we'll have a movie night. Like kids, our kids aren't going to get a, a laptop and go in the room by themselves. And, you know, another thing is we hear about having the conversation or the talk with our kids. Yeah. And that's a big misconception in the church today is that every father or mother should eventually have the talk about the birds and the bees with their children. And we have to start reframing that and say, okay, what does it take to raise our children with or in sexual discipleship? Like how do we define what this looks like from God's perspective, our sexuality? And you have to do that from an early age. And so I mean, I, we can give you the, the bullet point list on what to do, but you've got to pray for wisdom. God, God guide me in how to talk to my three-year-old son about his body parts, mm-hmm. how to talk to my daughter at six years old about touching and, you know, caressing and those type of things. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be age appropriate, but at an early age, you also have to begin to warn them about pornography. Yeah. Because the enemy, Satan, is not going to hold back. He's going to have that talk with him. And so are we going to do it or are we going to let the enemy do it? And um, they've got to be prepared or they're just getting set up for a lifetime of bad behavior. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of funny that, um, you know, Christian equals conservative equals, you know, you're uncomfortable talking to your kids about sex sort of thing. Um, when, uh, the first time I had to talk to my son about sex, I was reading through the story of David and Bathsheba to my son and talking <laughs> about this wicked, this wicked thing that happened. And he just, he stopped me. I don't know. He was like four years old, but he stopped me and he's like, wait a second. So why is the baby Uriah's or why is the baby David's if Uriah is Bathsheba's husband? How, how does that work? Wow. And I'm like, oh, okay. I, I have to tell you how that baby got in there. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it was a very, very, you know, surface level kind of explanation, but then a month later was Christmas and we were talking about the virgin birth and now he had a context for what that even means. And that, that just made, made me realize like, how do Christians get away with not talking about this? If your kids are ever hearing about the Bible, there is, there is sex point, man. There's sex everywhere in the Bible. How are we going to get around this? So we, you know, you can't, you can't avoid the subject. And I think that if you're a biblical family, it should be a very natural part of conversation. You know, there's there's a certain level of taboo to it, maybe still even within a, a good Christian family. You, you want to, you don't just throw all, right. you know. That's to be uh, age appropriate. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But it should be natural and sexuality, is, it shouldn't, because once you start putting shame on it, which I think that's a tendency of Christians mm-hmm. to do, uh, that's when things go bad. Yeah, so if you grew up in a family that this was very inappropriate, like I, I love my mom and dad, but you can't say sex in our family. Hmm. It just raises hair on their back and everyone gets really tense. And so your mom has hair on her back. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to cut that out. That's awful. Yeah, that's funny. Actually. <laughs> okay. keep it. I'll keep it. <laughs> she would say, yeah, come look at it. <laughs> no. So it, it wasn't a topic in our family. And so with our kids, we're like, okay, well, you know, we've got to talk about this because we live in a different day and age where this is an issue. Yeah. And this is where the, where the church is being attacked in sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, have the conversation. It's going to feel uncomfortable. Suck it up. 
Yeah. <laughs> do it anyways. And you'll get used to it. And your children will eventually get to a place where they don't feel uncomfortable to talk about it. And when they do feel, when they are shown something, because it's going to happen, they're going to be exposed to this at some point. So when that happens, they're willing to talk with you about it. Hey, I saw something. So-and-so sh- showed this to me. What do I do? I don't like that. Um, you've got a much better chance that they're going to open up at that point and, and not try to hide it, keep it a secret, which then you've got sin and shame. Yeah. So they're going to, they're going to cover it up. And, and, uh, that's a place where it can start to mester and become an infection in their, in their life. Uh, here, here's a question. Uh, what do you think about this? Um, do you think a man who has struggled with and overcome pornography in, in his own life, um, how much of that uh, experience should he be sharing, say, with his teenage son? Like, I did this as a cautionary tale, you know, not I did it as a cautionary tale, but as a cautionary tale, don't do what I did and warning him of all the, the dangers that go along with that. Is that like, you think that's more of like an actual cautionary tale or is that more of like, well, dad did it, so. No, you should. <clears throat> we okay. get this question all the time. Yeah, you should talk about it. Okay. Age appropriate, again, um, but it should be something that says, hey, look, learn from me. I did this stupid thing in my past. I'm not there anymore, um, but it doesn't lead you down a good road. Mm. Like if you can save your child from the pain that you went through by sharing with them the addiction or the struggle that you had, that's a wise thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I always worry about how much of my past to share with my, with my kids. I, I mean, I do it and we have very open conversations about it, but I always worry that like, maybe if I phrase something the wrong way, it'll sound appealing, you know? So I guess it's just about yeah. wisdom. It's and, a tough conversation, but yeah. All right. Let's do another one. Hi, this is Laura from New Jersey. I have a question on porn. Um, due to um, evidence coming out now that um, porn isn't just for men, um, it's coming more and more that women are getting addicted to it as well. Um, how can we uh, approach this in the church, especially as women to women, um, especially since it has been used as just a men's issue for the longest time and there might be a stigma and a shame um, that women may have around it that they may not come forward about it. All right. Thanks. Good question. Wow. Yeah. And this is becoming a serious issue. Yeah. I know, I know when people mention this to me, like my, my knee jerk, and this is, I think I, I need to start to rethink how I even think about this, but um, my knee jerk is like, yeah, I know women struggle with it, but it's different. Right. And, and, you know, if we're honest, I think we all should be able to admit that it is different, like maybe for different reasons and, and all this stuff. But we, it is, I mean, we're just a sex saturated culture and we almost expect our culture now expects women to act a certain way and want to want sex in a certain way and all all these things. So there's just this pressure on women now. Yeah. And that's because we've, we're objectifying other people instead of relating with them, they become objects to us. So we have women, surprisingly, every single day that contact us and tell us they have addictions to pornography and that they need help. Um, most often it's different in the sense that it's a love addiction, not specifically pornography, sex addiction. Um, they're looking for attachment. 
and they're not, they're not getting attachment. Um, but the same level of shame, actually probably even more shame yeah, sure. because the church in the world looks at women who have a sexual addiction as you know, lepers really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a massive issue and we've got teenage girls again that are hooked on their devices all day long. They're being sexualized. They're seeing other teenage girls who are sexting and doing these other inappropriate things. And then they follow down this path and it leads to a life of, of shame and sin. It seems like preventative measures like that's, I mean, I can think of preventative measures to keep my, my daughters. I have three daughters. It's terrifying when I think about this stuff. Um, from being exposed to this stuff. But like, what do you say to the women who are actually in it? <clears throat> the ones who are addicted? Mm-hmm. Well, there's hope. I mean, men are getting free. Women are getting free. And so if you have a brain and you can renew it, you can find freedom. And that's what Paul talked about in Romans, about renewing the mind. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, it's a sin problem, but it's a physical brain problem as well. And you have to begin to put in new neural pathways in your brain that aren't attached to images. And that takes time. It's a couple years to do that. So it's the same. Th- so even, even if there's, there's maybe some differences in motives, uh, which maybe not everybody would agree with, but I, I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, it's this, it's still um, your, your brain identifies this thing as a source of pleasure. Yeah, right. the, the end, same, same problem. The end result is your brain is, becomes messed up. Yeah. And you've got to build a healthy brain. So right. step one is I want to stop doing this. And then step two is now how do I deal with the stuff I've done to my brain? Which is an interesting, that, interesting thing that Paul says. Uh, he says that sexual sin is the only sin that you commit against your own body. Yeah. So what is that? <laughs> yeah. That's your brain. Yeah. And also your physical, you know, your genitals and stuff like that. I yeah, guess too. yeah but, but yes, yeah, I totally agree. And that's why he says to flee from sexual morality. Mm-hmm. Every other sin is outside the body, mm-hmm. but sexual sin is against our own body. So I struggled for years. Like, well, what does he mean by that? How could it be against your own body? Well, that must be STDs and those things, which is true. Mm-hmm. But now, 2000 years later, we know that it has to do with your brain. You can go and scan the brain of a porn addict and then scan the brain of a healthy brain. And they're two totally different brains. Um, So I was in a clinic in Dallas with this brain scientist and he scanned, he had all these brain scans that he had done and he showed me the differences in these scans. And it's, you don't have to be a neuroscientist to see that this stuff affects the brain. And so you have to adjust, you have to address the, brain chemistry and what pornography does to the brain, not just morality, spirituality. It has to also be based on science as well. Hmm. All right. Let's do one more. Hey, Les. My name is Danny calling from um, Florida. Uh, Yeah, I just want to say I appreciate your work uh, just for the kingdom of God and everything that uh, you do um, with that. Um, My question, when, if ever, would porn... uh, the uh, biblical grounds for divorce, if that's even a thing. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for taking my question. Um, we have a great day. So this is, uh, so obviously this is a pastoral question. So, um, you know, we don't want to, we, we, 
want to be clear that we have no authority in that area of your life. So definitely, you know, this is obviously if anybody's struggling with this, talk to your pastor and get some, you know, guidance in that. Um, but this is this is an interesting question because obviously, like Jesus says, that uh, he sort of alludes to the idea that sexual immorality is the only basis for divorce. Um, and he, you know, he says that even then, that was because Moses knew of your weakness. And so Jesus hates divorce, but it seems like sexual morality in the Bible is this one thing that it's it's potentially a, a reason to get to get a divorce uh, legitimately. But what's the difference between cheating on someone physically and watching porn? Well, Jesus qualified what six, sexual morality and divorce had to do with. And he said that even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've com- committed adultery in your heart. But he also says that if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. But I don't think that he's saying that if you hate your brother, you should receive or you're you're liable for the same penalty as murder, like in a legal sense, in a, in a human interaction sense. So I, I do think like when he makes that distinction, he's getting down to the heart issue and saying you're more wicked than you realize. But um, I'm not convinced that he's saying if you've looked at a woman with lust – your wife has the grounds yeah. grounds for divorce. Yeah, but you know you've got other situations where if he has been addicted to pornography for twenty years and he has no initiative to change and he's not yeah. doing anything to change. Yeah, I do think I think there's. It, I don't think that pornography is never a grounds for divorce, but yeah, I think we need to be really you know yeah. like, obviously. Uh, be very careful with uh, how, how far we push it. Because if somebody actually is physically cheating on you, then, um, you know. It's I, different. I, yeah, it's, it, it's just different, exactly. Yeah, I would say the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get into some biblically-based counseling and allow the counselor to get um, more embedded, understanding what's going on in your relationship and allow them to help you through this situation. Yeah. And be very careful in who you pick as a counselor. Um, it's really important that you get a Bible-based counselor. Um, but I've seen a lot of marriages get restored. And these yeah. are not just men who were um, looking at pornography, but they had sexually acted out with other people. Yeah. And so they went through a process of healing and, and came to restoration. So it's, it's possible, but the parties have to be willing Husband yeah. and wife has to be willing to do that. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, even if you say, you know, you should get with a counselor, but, you know, that, that presupposes that the person's repentant to begin with. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, if somebody's just headlong in their sin and they're never going to repent of it, then, I mean, that's that's the big the biggest problem right there is just getting them to admit that they're in sin and they need to repent. Yeah, that's the first step. So, yeah, it's a tricky one. Talk to your pastor if uh, anybody's in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, well, Jeremy, thank you so much for, for doing this with me. What do you have going on that you'd like to let my audience know about? Um, well, we've, we've actually built a new platform called Soul Refiner, and it streams the Conquer series, and we have a new follow-up course called Warpath, a marriage series on there, got a legacy series coming out as well. And they're all focused around healing, helping people, um, and that's, what, that's why Jesus came, to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. Amen. And it, it comes in that order. You've got to heal, and then they find freedom. So that's our mission. So uh, what's this, the platform, what, what's, it, what's it all about? 
Uh, it's kind of a Netflix for the church, but it's got these digital tools that you can use to track your progress and go through a deeper process of healing. And <clears throat> so churches are using Soul Refiner in small groups to lead their uh, small groups through these courses. And uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty easy to use, easy to get signed up. And so uh, the Conquer series is probably like your, your most popular product, yeah. I would assume. Uh, you want to give a, a little more information on what the Conquer series is all about? Um, well, it's a 10-week series, and each episode is like 30 to 40 minutes long, and it follows the teaching of Dr. Ted Roberts, who is a pastor in a church in Oregon. And he now leads a ministry that helps thousands of men find freedom from pornography. And so we basically took his story as a Marine fighter pilot and incorporated um, his teaching on finding freedom into the Conquer series. And how, how effective have you seen that be in the church? It's very effective. I mean, it, we've had a million plus men who've gone through it now. It's pretty effective. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Well, it's effective yeah. for me, uh, I'll say. Awesome, Th- this is, it's this content uh, that, that the Lord used to uh to set me free and you know that's a that's a huge deal uh my this weight on my entire life and i'm sure there's so many men out there that you don't even realize how weighty it is until you've been set free from it really yeah that's exactly right yeah but you know it was a lifelong struggle and the lord used um the content that you're creating to to set me free so i'm indebted to you and praise the lord praise the lord for the work you're doing thanks a lot that means a lot um at the end of the day it's the holy spirit Yep. And it's God that gets us out of the chains of bondage to 100%. pornography. Amen. Um, the Conquer series just gives you some tools and how to apply that. Um, but don't fall for the trap. If I just go read my Bible more, I'll fix the problem. I think that's where a lot of men get stuck. Uh, it's it's because that's it's just that's just a way that's just a way to keep the secret. Really, you know, yeah. like if because yes, the Bible is where truth is found, and the truth is what sets you free. That's all true. But if you're if you want to keep hiding and and pretending you're not guilty of the sin while you read your Bible and let it, you just never want it to see the light of day. That's right. I think that's the, for me, that's the biggest realization I had to come to is like, I actually have to face this thing. Yeah. You know? Yep. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, Les. That was great. And uh, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.